I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, where we'll be reading Psalm 5. It's the fifth Sunday of the new year, and we are going through the Psalms one by one. And so today we are in Psalm 5. If you're using a Bible provided for you there in the pew, this is on page 419. It says, To the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies and make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. And that concludes our reading for this morning. Uh, the psalm uh, last week in four ended with the promise that God gives to his children sleep, that in peace we can lie down and sleep knowing that God ultimately uh, provides safety for us. And so it's an evening uh, psalm and the promise that God does give us rest. And here we now turn to the next psalm. And uh, though they don't necessarily uh, follow each other um, intentionally per se, but it, we come to the morning now where a different experience or time frame is imagined in the part of the psalmist. And so there's the promise of God that we have at the end of the day when all of our sort of striving has been uh, exhausted and attempted. And here we have uh, the psalmist coming to the Lord uh, in the morning and seeking his face, praying to him. And there's this sense of uh, eagerness to this prayer. Uh, as I read through it, I kept imagining uh, not just any time in the morning, but the psalmist is probably up before the sun. Um, because there is a, there's something on his mind, and we all have those kinds of days where we're anticipating a new day so much uh, that we, we just are up uh, even earlier than normal in the anticipation of what might take place. And sometimes that's because we're really looking forward to something, and sometimes that's because we're really concerned about something and wondering how it's going to turn out. Uh, but one of the things that comes through in this psalm is the good news that God hears our prayers, and he hears those prayers 
whether those prayers are offered with or without words. And, and so as the psalm uh, continues, he says, give ear to my words. But then he also says, consider my groaning and give attention to the sound of my cry. For to you do I pray. And I submit to you that all of those are different ways of praying. Uh, we pray with our words and the requests that we bring before God and the things that we might ask of him. But just like in our own communication with one another, uh, most of our communication is nonverbal. We see uh, and can tell, especially with people we know, by their physical appearance, how they're doing, or if they're worried, or if they're happy, by the tone of their voice, whether they're nervous, or whether or not they're relaxed. And so God, who knows us more than anybody else, he hears our prayers, and he hears the words that we offer him whenever we offer those words, but he also hears our groanings, the cries of our heart that we might not have the appropriate words, uh, even for what it is that we're experiencing. And then he goes on to say, give attention to the sound of my cry. Uh, when we struggle to, to say anything, God hears and knows that. And, and this truth is reaffirmed for us even in our New Testament. So if you still have your Bible out, you can turn quickly to Romans chapter 8, which is where Brad turned even last week in Psalm 4. But this is a, a different part of Romans 8 that emphasizes here what's being said in Psalm 5. But we have this wonderful promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, about how God knows all the various prayers we might offer to him. And so Romans 8, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I hope that's an encouragement to your heart as it is mine, that there are so many things that happen to us or even happen around us that we do struggle to find the adequate words to even express uh, what we're feeling. And God understands all the words we use whenever we can find words to use, but he is not limited by those words alone. The psalmist is asking God to also consider the groanings and the cries of his heart and to interpret the utterances that are coming from him. And so this is early in the morning, and there is a sense of concern and need and a bit of desperation on the part of of the psalmist. We don't know all the details that, um, that bring about this psalm. But this is uh, one of those aspects of Scripture where uh, we see that we are reading something that's written thousands of years ago, but it has resonance with us today as if we could have written this or somebody in our life could have written this this past week because it's true to the human experience. And so we, we know that there's many circumstances and things that come to us in life that we might be able to be specific and ask God uh, to do certain things or articulate to him what it is we're feeling. And then there's other times where just something's off. 
or something is so overwhelming that we're not even sure the appropriate way to respond. And it's good news that God is not limited (laughs) by our ability to express ourselves. He hears all of our prayers in whatever forms they're offered. And then we see that even in the life and the ministry of Jesus himself. There were people that came to him. Uh, they were pretty smart. They, they wanted to sort of start debates with him, and they had extended conversations with him. And though they were good with words, their hearts were not aligned to actually come to him for mercy or come to him for healing. And so even though they were good with words, they usually didn't end up um, in a place of fellowship and communion with him. And then we hear of others who simply come to him and say, have mercy on me, son of David. And it says that they're, they're healed, that Christ has compassion on them. Uh, in the portion of Luke that uh, we were reading through in the men's Bible study this past week, it, it also included the story uh, in Luke chapter 8. There's, there's two instances where one, when Jesus goes on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and so now he's in the, the region of the Gerasenes, where somebody who comes to him is so overwhelmed in his brokenness and sin, actually possessed by demons and uh, isolated from all of his community because nobody knows what to do with him. And this person comes to Jesus and does not offer a prayer for rescue or redemption. But Jesus can see the isolation, the pain, the hurt, and the groanings. And Jesus rescues him. Jesus casts out the demons from him and restores to health and to wholeness. That person who was so broken, he could not have even offered the prayer that he would have needed to offer to be redeemed. And then shortly thereafter, as Jesus is dealing with now a crowd of people, it tells the story of a woman coming up to him. And because Jesus' attention is elsewhere and the crowd is so big, she never actually gets the words out to ask for anything, but simply touches him, and she's healed. And it's this beautiful demonstration in the life and ministry of Jesus that his ability to hear all those different prayers and groanings that were being offered around him and to answer all uh, all of those people that, again, is not an encouragement for us to never use words. He, he hears our words too, and he wants us uh, to pray to him. He wants us to seek him and to come boldly before his throne. But he also wants us to keep on coming to him, even when we don't feel like we have the adequate words for what are the longings and the cries of our heart. And our good God hears our prayers, whether they're offered with or without words. And in that same way, it's our God, uh, we see from this psalm, he knows all of our needs. He hears our prayers, and he knows all of our needs. He knows, as the one who designed us and made us, that everything that happens to us physically affects us emotionally and spiritually. And everything that happens to us emotionally and spiritually affects us Physically, that the God who told us that we're supposed to love him with our heart, soul, and mind, he knows that all of those things go together uh, within us. And they all affect 
one another. And so uh, there's not only a variety of descriptions of the types of prayers that are offered um, here by the psalmist, but there's this awareness that God is looking down upon us and he knows each and every one of our needs. He can interpret those things, but part of what the psalmist is also expressing is this desire to be in God's holy temple. Not just to be saved from something, but to experience again the goodness of being able to enter into the house of the Lord, to be together with God's people from isolation into community. The desire not just to have a problem solved, but to have a new song placed in his heart to sing for joy. And so there's just as much variety of description here in both expressing the psalmist's grief and concern in prayer, but then is also acknowledgement of how to express his joy and wonder. He talks about bowing down before the Lord in reverence for how holy he is, standing up and entering through his gates, and also singing uh, for joy and praising God for the good things uh, that have come his way. And all of those reflect not just emotional, but the, the emotion is expressed in different physical forms because that's how God has made us. He hears all of our prayers and he knows each and every one of our needs. And so he knows that this psalmist has come to him in a position of need, come early in the morning, come and prepared a sacrifice uh, and is waiting and is watching for God to do something. And, and so that's almost like if, if you've waken up before the sun and you're waiting for the sun to rise, you know it's coming, you're looking forward to it, uh, you want to see the light break through. The psalmist is, is, has that sense of anticipation and waiting, longing for redemption to come. I woke up this morning uh, long before the sun, uh, but not because I was overly concerned about something. I wanted to watch the Australian Open final live, and it started at 3.30 this morning. So I started watching it around 4.30, so I didn't uh, wake up at 3.30 to watch it, but I was excited to see it. But I do realize, and it happens more uh, in the winter, in other seasons, that goodness of being up when it's really, really dark and anticipating the breaking through of the sun and the light. Uh, it was also a, a good illustration, though, of the, of the way our personalities are wired, that God has designed us. So in the match after it was completed, uh, you had a player who has to. Tennis is just such an individual sport. You have coaches and people that come along. You all side the way. But once it starts, there's nobody to substitute in for you. If you're not feeling good, like, it's you the whole time. And so after the match completed uh, and uh, Novak won, uh, he stood sort of resilient and strong and right away pointed to his mind and then pointed to his heart with this sort of strength. And within two seconds, he then started sobbing. Uh, climbed up into the booth where his uh, family and friends were and then in a way I hadn't seen before, uh, just lost it. Uh, and even when he came back down on the court, couldn't stop crying tears as an expression of all the different emotions uh, that were being experienced. And that was in joy, in a sense of relief, uh, not just in times of pain. And God knows we have various needs. He knows what we need on hard days. He knows what we need on good days. 
He knows that we all need variety in our lives. Uh, he knows that we have needs for food and for clothing, for relationships. And this is, again, we see in the ministry of Jesus. Just like he healed people of various, um, offering up various types of prayer as Jesus walked this earth and he had crowds together and then the disciples come to him and say, you know, we're about to have a problem here. Like it's almost mealtime and we don't have enough to feed people. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, that's, well, who cares about that? You know, we're all having such a good time. We don't really have to pay attention anymore to how people are uh, feeling. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, no, but sit them down and let's feed them all. Uh, his first miracle is performed at a wedding. Uh, as there's a celebration going on and the host is realizing he doesn't actually have enough of what he wants to keep the celebration going. And there again, we'd say, well, I'm not sure that's the most important thing but we need things to celebrate. We, we need at times breakthroughs to happen in, in our good moments. And he provides this uh, miraculous turning of water into wine to continue the celebration that goes forth in that first wedding. And it's one of the first public things that causes a few people to start to ask and wonder, who is this person? And there again, it's God knowing our needs. He knows we need rest. He knows we need fellowship. He knows we need uh, purpose and motivation to do the things that we need to do. And so this psalmist is expressing uh, in both the difficulties and the challenges and also the joys uh, and what he longs for, uh, this recognition that God is aware of all of that. And so he's not uh, only praying for rescue, but also asking that God would give him the things that he wants and desires, that he would restore joy to him and fellowship, and that there's nothing wrong with asking for those things. And God also knows what we need and when we need it and how we need it in order to get us through. Uh, part of our time uh, in California was uh, that was unexpected for us. We were going mostly to see family. Uh, we hadn't taken our youngest there. He's five now, so it had been about six and a half to seven years since we'd been there. And so we were looking forward to an extended time to mostly visit with different people. Uh, but then one of our relatives reached out, and they had a connection and said, we'd love to gift your family tickets to Disneyland. And so we'd love for you to be able to do that. And we were like, you know, actually, I think that would be helpful. Uh, I think our kids would also uh, enjoy having something that they'll look forward to that's just fun and something that they get to play with uh, or anticipate enjoying. Uh, and so it was an incredibly gracious gift that we were happy to receive, and it was a one-day thing. And so then we were also like, okay, so how do we maximize this day? And um, how do we uh, help them get through it and walk? I think we ended up walking eight to almost nine miles that day uh, with our kids, and they did great. But in it, they were looking forward to certain things. And so because we'd received this generous gift, um, our our oldest had seen uh, one of the specials on Disney Plus that showed how Galaxy's Edge was built. And it was built simultaneously in California and in Florida, and they're into Star Wars now, and so they were so excited to go. And so we tried to say to them, you know, people have been so generous to us. We're, we're going to try to pass on some of that ourselves. And so if there's certain things you want that are special, like we'll, we'll try to get those for you. Well, they knew from watching the series that you can get a custom lightsaber made at uh, Galaxy's Edge. They're super excited. And uh, 
we thought, okay, let's, we'll gladly do that. And so we had already done a couple of rides, and I said, yeah, let's go over to that area. And so we go over there, and there's no line, and we were actually fortunate the whole time. We were there when everybody was in school, and so there were no lines. We never waited in a line for more than 25 minutes the whole time that we were there, which was extraordinary. Uh, but then we get up to this area, and there's nobody there. We're like, wow, we just keep looking out. So we step up and say, hey, here we are. We want to make custom lightsabers. And they're like, okay, do you have a reservation? And I'm like know when I'm looking around I'm like who am I supposed to have a reservation with there's nobody in line They're like what well, you have to you have to make a reservation and it's $270 a lightsaber <laughs> I was like what uh, I don't think I said that to the person in front of me but I had to like again not with words but somehow communicate uh, uh, we're gonna have a family meeting real quick uh, <laughs> and so we had a family meeting and I had to say to them guys that's more than what we paid for the tickets to get here to California like, can we get you something that you still want that's not this? Because there's no way we're doing this. And thankfully, they were very, very flexible. And yeah, okay. They had no idea how much it cost. They just knew it existed. Um, and so this thing that they had been looking forward to, we did have to shift with them. But we also had to recognize, okay, if we're not going to do that for them, what else are we going to do for them? Uh, so that they keep on walking. Because at that point, we probably only walked two of our eight miles that we were going to walk for the rest of the day. Um, our God knows our needs, and he knows when we need them, and he knows how we need them. And in his wisdom, he also knows when we might ask for things that are not exactly what we need, and we need different things. And here the psalmist is expressing in both his uh, concerns and his needs that come from uh, despair or uh, worry, but also his recognition that we all also need things like community and need things like fellowship and need things like joy and thankfully our good God is gracious uh, to receive and to respond to all of those different needs for us and then lastly the psalm reinforces for us that God delights in our redemption he hears our prayers he knows our needs and it also makes clear that he delights in our redemption uh, the psalmist is aware there are a lot of bad things that happen in the world. That he's surrounded by wickedness, by deception, by violence. Um, he sees all of that. He recognizes all of that. And oftentimes, as humans, we're then tempted to say, because that is so much around us, is God okay with that? Like, is that an expression of his will? That this sort of violence continues or this sort of deception uh, happens and there were many other cultures uh, in the day that this psalm was written that would have said yeah God is actually both good and evil and he's a, a little bit of both and you don't know what you're going to get any given day and Israel insisted that there was only one God and that that one God was always good that no he never actually delights in wickedness that he's holy He's never the one who's actively tempting us to do what's wrong. His delight is in truth. His delight is in righteousness. His delight is in holiness. And so when we see pain around us and injustice around us, and we're tempted to think that, that God himself is unjust or uncaring, this psalmist is saying, no, no, no. 
the more you get to know the heart of God, you realize his delight is always and forever in what is good, in what is true, in what is right. And we can always rely upon him. Why now so many things happen in our world that bring us grief and sadness and cause us to rise up early and offer up sacrifices and prayers still for us becomes a mystery. We don't have an answer for why all of those things still happen. But the Bible tells us enough about who God is that it reveals his character and his heart to say, if there is in you a sense of anger over sin, a sense of frustration with wickedness and unjust pain and suffering, that that actually is an expression of the God who made you. He's more angry about sin than you and I are. He's more bothered by senseless violence than you and I are. He's, he has a, a greater punishment for liars and deceivers than you or I would. He does not delight in those things. He does not bless those things. Though they happen and though they are around us, here the psalmist is saying out loud with words, but God, that's not a reflection of who you are. And it's not a reflection of your will that these things keep on happening. And so then in the very same way, Jesus comes and when his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, could you help us learn how to pray? Jesus says, yeah. When you pray, pray our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And part of how that prayer begins is to give now words to the disciples to acknowledge there is so much that happens in this world that is not reflecting the will of God and what happens in heaven. And so the prayer is, God, would you make earth a little more like heaven? Because we don't believe that there's this kind of deception and this kind of violence and this kind of perversion and this kind of wickedness in you, in where you reside, because you're holier than we are. And we ourselves need to be reminded of that. That's why these psalms are recorded, for us to take them up. And then it begins with a, hey, while you sing this song, here's an instrument to go along with it. But sing this. Remind each other that God does not delight in those things. That God does not delight in injustice, in wickedness, in sinfulness, in rebellion, in perversion. He doesn't delight in evil. He wants to uproot it from our own hearts, from our relationships, and from our communities. And so when we give ourselves to the responsibilities that we have, whether that's as parents, as neighbors, as workers, to mitigate against the pain of this world and the injustice of this world, we're actually doing his will. We're, we're stepping in the path that he has made for us. Uh, I had recently, I, right before we went to California, it was pretty mild weather, and our kids love uh, basketball, so we went to a local park, and we were going to uh, just let them play hoops. And so I had them, and we were playing, and it was just us. And 
um, probably about 10 minutes later, like a group of kids came over with like a Bluetooth speaker and really loud music and really profane music. And I was kind of just waiting to observe and say, um, will they themselves turn this down when they get here and they see that I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old, or will I actually have to say something? And I was in this vein of like, I'd rather not say something. You know, I'd rather that they just uh, turn it down on their own, but they didn't. And so then I had to like wrestle with the emotions again. Do I just want to do this for my own sake and my kids' own sake? Or do I actually want them to not listen to this for their own sake? Because that'll shape how I now approach them uh, in, the, in the handling of this. And I didn't handle it perfectly. But it's something that I wrestled with because there I felt that tension of like, I don't want my kids to hear this. I don't want you to hear it. I don't believe God wants this to be heard right now for your sake or mine. And so how do I communicate that reality that this is wrong? And so I did. And I had no idea what to expect. Like, were they going to all get mad at me? And now I'm going to be in a really complicated situation? Or would they respond to it? Thankfully, they responded to it by saying, I am so sorry, and they turned it off. But I didn't know what to expect. And I just felt that mixture of, I don't want them to just turn it off. I want them that the moment I walk away with my kids to not turn it back on again. <laughs> I want them from the inside out to say, why is that something that we would consider entertaining or fascinating? And I'm a fallen creature who struggles with temptation and sin all the time. God is holier than I am. He's holier than, than all of us together. And so we never should lose sight of that reality that in his holiness, sin is always a bigger deal to him than it is to you and to me. And as Christians, we, we realize that most poignantly when we think of the cross. That if sin was just a small thing that God could say, oh, you know, sorry about that, but we'll just overlook it, then Jesus never would have had to die on the cross. But this consistent story of Scripture that sin is so serious that it's only by a sacrifice that ultimately sin becomes forgiven. And then we are supposed to be amazed and to sing for joy that he loved us enough to make a sacrifice for our sins. That should give us simultaneously that desire to say we are free in him to celebrate the good things he's given us, but not free to then just go do whatever we want and however we want to do it. We, we want to appropriately thank and honor the one who has freed us, the one who has saved us. We want to worship him. Well, how does he want to be worshiped? In spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we delight to know how great your love is for us. We thank you that you hear our prayers. That at times when we see a news headline or we watch a video or we're confronted with a situation where sin just um, shows itself in all of its ugliness, Father, we do recognize that you see that 
at a much more profound level than we can. Because you are more pure, because you are more holy, because you love us more than we possibly could, that there is an appropriate and holy and righteous anger that you have towards evil in this world. And so we pray that you would help us in in delighting in our salvation and the redemption that you've given us, that you would make us agents of yours to, to bless this world, to bring healing to this world. Father, we thank you that you hear the words that we offer you as well as the groanings of our heart. We thank you that you know each and every one of our needs, and so we humbly submit them to you. In your 